Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So Christmas is coming. Exciting, isn't it? Uh, If you're like me when I was a kid, by this time of the year, knowing Christmas was just around the corner, I was bursting with excitement. Going to bed on Christmas Eve, I didn't sleep a wink. There I was checking the clock every few minutes. It's not quite the same as an adult, as an adult uh, with cards to be written and posted, gifts to be bought and wrapped, work clients to be wined and dined, family gatherings to negotiate, nativity plays to watch, stockings to fill, decorations to hang, the list goes on and on. With so much to do, the announcement that Christmas is coming can feel more like a threat than a joy. So whether you're full of the excitement of a child waking up at a ridiculous hour on Christmas morning or feeling overwhelmed by every thought of Christmas coming. This evening, away from it all, allow me to take a few minutes to help us grasp again just why Christmas is so brilliant. Because you see, it's not that easy to see why Christmas is so good. The the real wonder of Christmas is hidden like an unopened present. Listen again to some of the first words we had read in our first reading. Jesus was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognise him. It's a most remarkable claim that the world was made by Jesus. It's a remarkable claim at any time of the year, but especially at Christmas, because looking at the baby Jesus, he doesn't seem to be different from any other baby ever born. He didn't have wings or flaming eyes. He wasn't fluent in Greek, Aramaic and Hebrew the moment he popped out of the womb. He made gurgling noises and burping noises and all the other noises that babies make out of the other end of their existence. To all intents and purposes, look at that baby back then and you'd have thought that he was just a baby. Oh, there were clues that this baby was different. His birth was different. He was born of a virgin. Angels began to appear all over the place. There were unusual astronomical events. A star in the sky which wise men followed. Incidentally, I do feel sorry for Mary that it was three wise men who turned up. I mean, had it been three wise women, what a difference it would have made. First, they wouldn't have been late because they'd have asked for directions, so they'd have arrived on time to help deliver the baby, and you can be sure they'd have brought practical gifts with them, a blanket, a changing mat, and a baby monitor. And after that, they'd have cleaned the stable, made a casserole, put the baby down to sleep, and there really would have been peace on earth. Anyway, it was wise men who turned up, and we'll just put that down to one of those strange quirks of history, shall we? The point is, there were some things that happened to give us a clue that this was no ordinary baby. But just look at the baby, and he really didn't look any different to any other newborn. It's only as we look at Jesus the man that we see that he was something different, that he was out of this world, that he was, as our reading said, the one through whom the world was made. Think of just one moment, one moment from Jesus' adult life. He was in a fishing boat with some of his followers when a furious, raging storm hit the boat, worse than Storm Desmond. It was a terrifying moment for those on board. As waves broke over the boat, his followers were convinced they were going to drown, and some of them were fishermen. They'd seen rough conditions before, but they were terrified for their lives. And what does Jesus do? Well, he didn't act like some great Hollywood hero and grab hold of the helm and steer them out of the whirlwind. No, he stood up on deck and commanded the sea, quiet, be still. And immediately the wind and the waves died down and it was completely calm. Now that is very impressive. Let me tell you, there have been plenty of occasions when I wished I could have done that. 
Uh, Travelling at Christmas is no fun. Queues at the airport, delays on network rail, roadworks on the motorways. I'm so pleased that I don't have to travel at this time of the year. And I'm especially pleased that I don't have to catch a boat because I am a terrible sailor. Before we had children, every year, Caroline, my wife and I, used to go skiing. Being on a tight budget, rather than fly, we crossed the channel by ferry. But I hated that journey. Every time we went on the ferry, I would get as sick as a dog. I'd spend most of the the crossing in the toilets. I, I, I will never forget, though, the worst crossing of the lot. As we drove onto the ferry, the crew were securing all the vehicles with ropes. So I knew we were in for a rough time. Others, who didn't seem to be bothered about these things, headed off to the restaurant and to enjoy a nice smorgasbord. I took my customary position camped outside the toilets. I tell you, I felt so sick on that particular journey. When I could stand it no longer, I looked up at Caroline and in a pathetic little voice, I said to her, Caroline, how much longer before we get there? I will never forget the look on Caroline's face as she turned to me and said, Paul, we haven't left the harbour yet. I tell you, I used to feel so sick on those journeys. What I'd have done to be able to go up on deck and command the wind and the waves, be still, stop. Of course, I didn't try, no point. And if I had, you'd have quickly come to the conclusion that I wasn't just sick in my stomach. You and I can't control the weather, but that's exactly what Jesus did. And it was no fluke. Again and again, right through his adult life, Jesus did remarkable things, astonishing things, to back up the claim that he was the one through whom the world was made. But you see, you and I can't see that when we just look at the baby Jesus. You have to look at Jesus, the man, to really see who he was. Until that point, it's just like an unopened present. The second surprise about Christmas is what happens when Jesus does become an adult. Listen again to those words from our first reading. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Years ago, before I was a vicar, I didn't spend this time of the year by going to lots of carol services, but by taking part in a pantomime each year. One year, I was the king of the kingdom in Jack and the Beanstalk, and a friend of mine came along to watch the panto. I met up with him after the show and I said, did you enjoy it? And he said, oh yes, it was great fun, but, but I thought you were going to be in it. And I said to him, I was in it. And he said, oh no, you weren't. And I said, oh yes, I was. <laughs> anyway, he'd watched the entire panto and he hadn't recognised me. Now, I don't know why. I don't know whether it was the makeup or the costume or the brilliance of my performance. No, it definitely wasn't that. Anyway, for some reason or other, my friend didn't recognise me. And that's what happened with Jesus. Now, at one level, that is entirely understandable because we don't expect the creator of the universe to become a baby. It's hard to believe that any human being could be God. And that's why Jesus performed miracles to prove who he was. Look, if if straight after this carol service, someone walked up to me and announced I'm God, I'd say prove it. And if they didn't do anything out of this world to back up their claim to be God, I'd not believe them. Indeed, I'd put their claim to being divine on a par with Father Christmas and Santa's elves. Frankly, I'd consider them a bit of a Christmas fruitcake. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just walk onto the planet and claim to be God. He backed up his claim by doing things that only God can do. He turned water into wine. He healed a dying boy. 
He gave a paralyzed man the ability to walk again. He fed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. He walked on water. He gave a blind man his sight and he raised the dead from the grave. So there's plenty of evidence that Jesus really is the creator of the world. His miracles are exactly what we'd expect to happen if God were to walk onto planet Earth. So having done all those things, it's a surprise that having proved his identity, still those around him rejected him. And that brings us to the very heart of why Jesus came at Christmas. Because what happened back then to Jesus happens today and has happened right through history. People don't want to acknowledge who Jesus is. Look, if we're honest, we all want to live our lives our own way without God interfering. But then if we're being honest, we have to admit that we haven't made a very good job of it. What a desperately sad year it's been for the human race. Vindictive religious extremists have caused havoc on the beaches of Tunisia, at a shrine in Bangkok, and of course on the streets of Paris. Not to mention Syria, Iraq, Nigeria, Cameroon, the Philippines, Somalia, Egypt, Sudan, Turkey, Pakistan. The list goes on and on. And then we've seen hundreds of thousands of people displaced many of them fleeing war-torn nations, their homes destroyed, leaving them with nowhere to live. And desperately, hundreds drowning because greedy men have exploited vulnerable, desperate people in their time of greatest need. What a broken world we live in. But look, I have to hold my hands up and say, I can't just blame the great collective mass that we call the human race. I'm to blame too. I don't know about you, but but I make many mistakes in life. And and I don't know about you, but I seem to keep making the same mistakes in life again and again. Every Christmas, I eat too much. I eat too many mince pies in the lead up to Christmas. I eat too much chocolate right through Christmas. And my overeating reaches its excessive climax on Christmas Day at lunchtime. At Christmas lunch, I have everything there is going. Do you do this? everything with all the trimmings at no other time of the year do I try to cram so much onto my plate and then attempt to eat it all and when I'm finished have seconds and then pudding and then seconds of pudding at Christmas lunch I ate a colossal amount of food in one meal and then at the end of the meal when I feel as if I'm about to burst I lean back in my chair and I announce to the family I will never eat again and when I say those words I really believe that I will never eat again So I collapse in the sofa to watch the Queen's speech, feeling completely stuffed. And then lo and behold, half an hour later, I get up and say, I think I'll have a sandwich. And I eat the entire contents of Christmas lunch again in a sandwich, followed by some Christmas pudding and a mince pie. And I do it every year. I never seem to learn the lesson. Now look, eating too much is not the end of the world. It's nothing that a bit of self-control in a gym membership can't remedy. Problem is... Many of the mistakes I keep making all year round really do matter because they hurt people. And I know I'm not alone in being grumpy at home and short-tempered with people in Christmas queues and so full of ourselves that we put others down, so stingy that we don't give to others in need even though we have more than we need, so ambitious we walk all over others to get what we want in life because we think we're so important. We keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And the biggest mistake of all, not recognising God as God. 
not living the way he would have me live. That's why we hurt others and that's why relationships are ruined and broken and even destroyed. And we feel that acutely at Christmas, don't we? In a survey in 2010, 18% of people agreed with the statement, I dread Christmas. Nearly one in five people really don't like this time of the year. A friend of mine said recently, I don't look forward to Christmas, it just reminds me of what I don't have. You see, his parents are divorced and uh, have been for years, so he never sits down with all the family around him. Others will be dreading Christmas this year because a loved one won't be there. For some of you, death has robbed you of someone very dear to you this year and you'll feel that aching void on Christmas Day. You probably feel it now. We live in a broken world. And at the heart of the problem is our failure to recognise that God is God. It happened back then and it still happens today. Jesus, God, was in the world. And even though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognise him. Yet listen to how our reading continued. And this is astonishing. Yet to all who received him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's why Jesus came at Christmas. Not just to prove that God exists, although that's important. And certainly not to condemn us for ignoring him and rejecting him, although that's what we might expect him to do. No, Jesus came at Christmas to bring us back into a loving relationship with him. I didn't get this for years. For years, I thought the Christmas message was try harder. Try and be a good person. But that, of course, is to confuse Jesus with Father Christmas. You know how the song goes. You better watch out. You better beware. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. He sees when you're sleeping. He sees when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. The message is clear. Santa comes to good people. A friend of mine told me of a friend of his who, when she was six years old, her parents picked up the telephone and called the North Pole to report her bad behaviour. Her parents made the call while she was in in the room. They told Sander that she'd been naughty and suggested he cancel her Christmas account. The little girl was horrified, so distraught, she yelled towards the phone, no, Santa, I'll be good, I promise. And that's how Santa operates. If if you're good, good, you'll get rewards. Actually, that's how this world operates. You'll get on in life if you're clever enough or pretty enough or rich enough or whatever. But the Christmas message is quite different and this is why it's so brilliant. It says, you and I can't be good enough. We keep making the same mistakes again and again. And we've all made the biggest mistake of all, not recognising Jesus as God. We've cut God out of our lives and in the process destroyed our relationship with him and in turn wrecked other relationships with other people. But here's the brilliant thing about Christmas. Despite all that, God loves you anyway. And Jesus came to die for you so that you can be forgiven and have your relationship with God restored and even become part of his family. And all we need for that to be true for us is to take the gift as we heard in our reading, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's why Christmas is so brilliant. It's about a free gift. It's not about just desperately trying to be good. 
It's not about trying to earn our way into God's good books. It's about God loving us so much that he gave something to us, a gift, a free gift, that when we take it, it makes us part of God's family. And now look, my time has gone. I'd love to spend more time telling you even more about this brilliant thing. I know some of you will be saying, I really want to know more about this brilliant gift and how to take it. Well, let me invite you back in the new year to look into these things further, to consider whether Jesus really is God, to think about why he came, to hear more about how to become part of God's family. On the inside back cover of the programme you were given on the way in, you'll see an invitation. It's an invitation to what we've called a Christianity Explored Taster Session. There are four to choose from. All the details are laid out here for you. Uh, Please treat this as my personal invitation to you. It's absolutely free. Uh, I'll be there to welcome you. So come along. It will cost you nothing. And it might just change everything forever. Well, now, let me wish you all a very happy Christmas and thank you for listening. And as we draw to the end of our service, just sit back now and listen to the choir as they ask the question, is there a way? Is there a way back to God?